Okay, so now we just need an intro. Uh, something like... Friendly sparring with Leo and Joe's. Friendly sparring. The friendliest sparring with Leo and Joe's. Friendly sparring. That's it. Ah, all right, cool. Let's start the show. Welcome to the Friendly Sparring Podcast, the podcast where we describe the historiography of the legendary compilation of the Farmer's Almanac of 1893. You know what? That isn't what this podcast is about, but it should be. <laughs> How in the hell are you, Mr. Stephen Amendla? I'm pretty good. Finished my semester of law school. How are you? I'm fantastic. I did not just finish my semester at law school, but I, I feel like I did something just as good which is to invite you onto this show that, that is true thank you <laughs> well I'll, I'll get right to the point um long time uh, listeners of this podcast will know and when i say that there's probably just only one i can think of his name is zim um that i had you on my old pocket two podcasts ago mixed martial opinions and we reviewed proper 12 and the absolute swill that it is um and i thought since there's no ufc this weekend uh, the president of the UFC, Dana White, has his own bourbon now called Howlerhead, banana flavored bourbon. And I'm like, well, if this isn't fucking the weirdest thing I've ever heard of, I'm going to produce my bottle so the patrons can see. Um, so I thought, let's try. I have not tried it. Um, as a matter of fact, I think I got when I was at the, uh, the liquor store like several months ago um getting like a six pack of beer or whatever i was getting they had the little airplane bottles before and i got one but it was the fucking lid was bent shut and it never i was never able to open it so i have no <laughs> idea what this tastes like uh and we're gonna get into it now i want to let everyone know sort of why i invited you is that out of all my friends you are the one who has i think the most sophisticated palate especially when it comes to uh alcohol and things like that and and know kind of a, a bit about the history. And you used to work in a, a vineyard, correct? Like you were. Yes, I'm a drunk. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I, I worked at um, a, a winery in uh, Napa Valley. Uh, Napa Valley. Um, it was called Girard. They're they're well known for um, producing Cabernet Sauvignon. They they have um, one Cabernet Sauvignon for every sub ABA uh, within uh, Napa, which is nine, I think, and then also some general ones. So there's uh, there's just like their general Cabernet Sauvignon it's inexpensive uh, well I mean inexpensive for the standard of Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon you can find it at Trader Joe's for like 30 bucks uh but then you, you yeah. also get their Diamond Valley whatever that one's called for like 300 bucks um which uh, is not particularly good actually at the 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 <laughs> I'm not not the um they just specifically our most expensive one I, I don't prefer uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like California wines Cabernet Sauvignon is like what a majority of, of the vineyards in California produce. Yeah, is that yeah. fair to say? Uh, yeah, and um, you know, interesting thing about that is um, it's not legally required um, if you have less than 15% of a grape um, for that variety to be mentioned. And now a lot of wineries do anyway because, you know, the fact that they're very subtly mixing things together is part of the feature of it. But um, a lot of... Um, the Napa uh, wineries that are making Cabernet Sauvignon uh, do put 
a fairly handsome percentage of petite ver uh not sorry uh, petite Syrah in there um oh. which, which is a rather potent influence in the flavor most people associate with um cabernet sauvignon consequently uh because cabernet sauvignon without it can kind of um uh it, it can lack a bit of body um yeah uh, but uh um, but then some of them will produce it pure as well, uh, in, including Gerard, uh, depending on the, the particular product. So it's, uh, um, yes, it's interesting how that works out. I love it. Well, Stephen, also in preparation for this episode, I, I wanted you to know who Dana White is. Yes. And oh just how fucking ridiculous he is. And like, just insane, basically. And so I sent you I found a YouTube compilation of, of all the crazy shit he said. And, and believe me, like there's about an hour. I remember you telling me that you didn't even get through it, which is perfectly fine. I just wanted you to have some context. But even, even within that hour, there's, there's so many several hours not, not seen that are, <laughs> that could have made it like the, that compilation could have like, a, like eight parts to it. Um, but what are your thoughts on just sort of him as a person and how like his business practices and things like that? Yeah, my God, I was, um, I was able to watch like 38 minutes of it, but then like, it, it wasn't straight through. I kept, um, oh, but bumped my mic. I don't know if that popped. Uh, I, I, I kept, um, uh, so you were rewinding for like the microaggressions. Uh, yeah, the the micro expressions, uh, well, yeah. and, and micro aggressions. Uh, uh, yeah, I would pause and rewind and watch again, and like just just in gaping horror, observe every small thing that that, that was going on with. Um, yeah, very um, very like pitiable character uh, in in the in the hateable way. Um, he, he um, I'd never seen um a man who was a girl bully before like 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 who who bullied people specifically in the style of like the movie mean girls like he had a, a regina george type empire over uh what in the video i, I, I didn't even understand because you know i'm not as familiar with ufc so it seemed like they're often journalists interviewing him but sometimes they were like a, about seven people who also seem to be ufc fighters i'm not sure what the deal is with that um uh, and then sometimes it was also just usually the journalists are like MMA media is just comprised of like anyone who wants to do it. So uh, like very few of them actually have like journalism degrees. Um, one that one that you may have seen a lot in that um, video, his name is Ariel Hawani. He's kind of sort of got like a, a shaved head, but not bald. Like he has a full head of hair, just chooses to shave it sort of a big nose, Jewish nose. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, always dresses in a suit. So you would have seen him throughout that video a lot. Everyone else is just sort of like randos. Yes. Um, it, yeah, I noticed the people who are around him a lot, they they um, they despise him. Um, and yet, uh, in, in spite of the fact that on some micro expressions, you, you could tell that given the opportunity to kill him and get away with it, they would. Um, <laughs> they were still emotionally desperate uh, for his approval. Um, yes. Which I was just like, wow, how does a guy accomplish that? But then I mean, but then you can watch Very him doing Regina it. George. Yeah, I've never uh, thought of that comparison before, but with the way you've laid it out, it's undeniable. Yeah, it's 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 weird. Like there, there are these. Um, th there was one moment he was just like sitting in a chair. He was talking about um, how the Arizona Gaming Commission wasn't doing uh, its job in the termination of Mazagati, um, and and he he had this very girl bully approach. He he was you know sitting sitting in the back of his chair. He was um, well, he was doing the he was doing that thing where. You say say it's another girl in school. You, you're talking about them dismissively, like like you're you're 
actually going on about them like you know right like in fact you care about the subject very much but you go on about them in, the, in this dismissive um uh, like uh dissimilitudinous tone so that um it, it's as if you're you're deigning to speak on the subject and also just causing like this kind of very ambiguous um sense of weirdness about it so that uh, so that everybody around you uh knows that uh you are going to be excluded um if you are not taking this opportunity to be included uh on, on the external uh, hatred or or indifference uh, so um and, and then as he's talking about this um it's uh might have been the guy you just mentioned actually asks him like you know dana white had been speaking very ambiguously about like the Arizona Gaming Commission or whatever that bureau was called. And uh, the, the, the fellow says- Was it Nevada? Oh, uh, oh, oh yeah. yeah it's the Nevada, Nevada yeah. State Athletic Commission, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, Nevada State Athletic Commission. Um, he was like, so would you say, and he named the fellow by name, the uh, commissioner of the uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission is not doing their job. And, and it was funny because it was like the, the guy exactly had his number and yet also uh, wanted to participate in this but simultaneously like dig at him a little bit and the guy uh told him to just shut up uh but like the it, the particular moment of then I, I paused and rewinded rewatched a, a, a couple of times because the 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 way his face kept moving about that it was so detailed there, there was such a uh, panoply of evils that, that could be analyzed in like split second <laughs> moments as he prepared to preserve his like girl boss chair. Uh, and, and he even like, I mean, he's just sitting in some random chair, but he's like, as the question is asked, he, he thrusts his shoulders backwards very, uh, I mean, you know, in, in, in a practiced uh, way, but he, he manipulates this chair like a throne. Uh, but, um, but then, yeah, but it, it's a male coded girl bossiness so so that yeah. at that moment he's he sort of like um man spreads and uh yeah. th throws his cock into the uh um into the question um but but yeah he um it's odd how much he does that and he's uh he also um very clearly um like as, as a developmental matter was uh, you know that period called the terrible twos when uh, yes uh, children neurologically they are um they're just assholes they're they're um they're not expressly uh doing this they're not intentionally doing the mechanism i'm about to describe but like it, it, this is descriptively uh what is going on um with two-year-olds is that <coughs> they uh behave in search of boundaries it, it, again this is like an yes. imperfect way to describe an unintentional um uh process but uh if those boundaries are not defined for them uh they're like in a panic about it so the behavior actually only gets worse unless uh the, the parent is actually uh taking this opportunity to, to show them the behavioral limits uh in, in which the child may operate um because without those i mean you really just don't have definitions for life Ch children neurologically and interpersonally they crave structure uh for behavior for existence for the universe which they've recently been thrust into um and so while a child who isn't given those boundaries will continue to behave worse and so you might think of them as like more um of a prick so like you're, you're not thinking as much about their mental state like they're, they're um 
they're also more than like a state of perpetual panic and like just constant like I, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing until somebody's going to stop me so that I do. Uh, I, I, I'm going to practice this universe. It's like they're continually doing the cycle of that period of development. And, uh, and you know, sometimes you, you see people who uh, have made it through to adulthood without having that de developmental stage met. I mean, it's pretty common that a lot of parents don't um, start defining those boundaries sufficiently around the age of two. But then usually people they get those boundaries from elsewhere. Like sometimes you, like you see a shitty kid around like four and a half and you're like, boy, this is going to be kind of weird when they like go to public school, right? Like are, are the other kids going to be like, and, and, and then sure enough, they are like you know, the, the, the children are, <laughs> are, are, are taught those boundaries by uh, the, the other children. But, but yeah, somehow Dana White um, <laughs> did not have those boundaries. And then also didn't get those boundaries from school. And then also didn't get them from, his professional environment like you, you would think somewhere along the chain from being like a shitty two-year-old to uh <laughs> school college if he went you know i don't even know uh to like your professional environment you you learn those boundaries somewhere but yet he has somehow made a career of in fact founded a job for like like by his advocacy for the ufc created a sufficiently notorious industry uh in which all he makes his living on is not <laughs> having those boundaries and, and just uh, you're being in a state of perpetual suffering, high blood pressure and uh, girl bullying um, and, and dissimilitude. It's uh, it, it's amazing how many moments he rehearses. Um, <laughs> I, I remember there was um, there was one moment you showed me uh, in which um, he had blocked someone on Instagram and was like called out on an in interview. Uh, and that one I rewind a couple of times because it was it was very obvious his his exact reaction had been had been practiced in, in front of a mirror. Um, but um, it uh, and, 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 you know, using social trade, social capital on whether or not he is blocking someone on Instagram, it, 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 that's that's so strange for a man of his age. And you can you can see the social tension and it's like he is the the head of this particular castle ufc uh, which you know i'm sure that does make him rather wealthy i'm sure he has you know many millions of dollars but um compared to like uh, you know ufc is is a, a large and notable combat sport especially because because i grew up in new jersey i i knew a lot of people who knew mma fighters for whatever reason i was always hearing about that I, i've heard about it less since like living in other states but you know it's not um yeah but it's not the nfl uh, it, it's not mm -hmm. um you know, a guy who owns a particular sports, uh, a particular football team alone is, is a billionaire. Uh, I, I would sort of doubt he's a billionaire. I, I would I would think that he, in spite of ruling this particular area, knows very much that um, compared to other sports that he has a small concern. Um, it could, it, sorry, that, that was a... I accidentally used a fairly antiquated word there. I, like a, a, a concern used to be how they refer to like um, a, an enterprise, a business. Um, mm. So yeah, I would say that he's simultaneously dealing with the struggle of um, being king of this place, knowing it's not a very large kingdom, um, and, um, and yeah, and then also just the, the 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 fact that it ties up in all of his masculinity and having wanted to be uh, a, a boxer, knowing that you know a lot of these men are better fighters than him etc uh I, i'm sure oh, that wow. has, 
bother him to some extent. Um, I did not intend for this to be a psychological analysis on Dana White, but I'm here for it. This is easily the smartest episode of Friendly Sparring we've ever had. Uh, our listeners are used to like pegging jokes and <laughs> all manner of things. Well, um, he certainly two wants things to get I pegged by Tito Ortiz. If, if yes, I could, okay, so I, a, I'm uh, glad you pegging. brought that up. Before I forget, <laughs> I wanted to say two things. The title of this episode is going to be Dana White Girl Boss. <laughs> So when you said that, I couldn't, I could not stop laughing. <laughs> and for our audio only listeners, your shirt says 30 flirty and thriving. Just oh, yes. sure. <laughs> the 13 going on 30 reference. Um, just give me, give me a, just a couple minutes. Cause I, I do want to move on to actually trying this. Um, oh yeah. This bourbon. But how did you come to the conclusion that he uh, is in love with Tito Ortiz? Um, well, I don't know about in love with like, or with, at least once like Kate fucking. Yeah, there's there's definitely a very strong uh, sexual arousal. Um, it, it's uh, which I mean, I don't think he's I don't think he is a closeted homosexual. Like the thought does come up anytime somebody is like very um, outwardly hyper masculine um, as mm -hmm. a presentation. You kind of wondered, I mean, just of anyone like, are, are you being hyper masculine because you're a closeted homosexual? Uh, I I don't think he is. Uh, but it, like you know, the, the, such things are a spectrum, and I, th I think he does seem to be right. attracted to Tito Ortiz. Um, it, it, I mean, for one thing, the um, so you would say his uh, his sexual preference is women and Tito. Yes, um, <laughs> the uh, the the quantity of rage is um, is a lot. You know, there's the me thinks the the lady doth protest too much. Um, is, yes, is the general thought about that. Uh, but then also it was just the. Uh, the number of times he had been referenced and, and especially lacking the context. I mean, you remember I was, I was watching and I, I, I saw um, Tito keep coming out. I was just texting. I was like, did Tito like fuck his boyfriend or something? Like what, what, <laughs> uh, what, what is going on with this Tito fellow? Um, and um, Tito but then, used to be married to Jenna Jameson, by the way. Someone Jenna Jameson. Know. Is, is, porn star. That? Oh, porn star. Oh, wow. Um, or I guess they have kids together. I think I actually... I thought they were married, but someone brought it up at a press conference once and Tito goes, there was never no marriage or like something like that. Some fucking <laughs> weird thing. But I just wanted to give you some context, someone you may know, but go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, but um, there was um, there was one interview. He was a little uh, Dana White was a little younger in it than, than some of the other ones that you showed me. But he was angry at Tito about something. And yeah. um, he um, nevertheless see he was he was deflecting everyone else's admiration of tito he was envious of that because uh, i i think dana white is most likely a narcissist um, yes and um he um nevertheless um he was like oh yeah i know a lot of people like tito like like whatever but like he was still in talking about him um he had just been humbled in some way by something he had seen of Tito Ortiz. I don't know if it was a fight. I don't know if Tito Ortiz had beat up him uh, or if he just admired his performance in a, in a UFC ring or, or whatever the case might be. But um, it was, um, there was a, a profound admiration that was uh, effusively coming up through the, um, uh, through the contempt. And then, um, then there was, um, Another moment that was interesting, he was uh, describing to, this was a separate video, he said but he was describing to two other fellows sitting there, uh, in which all those girl boss dynamics are really clearly visible as well, how uh, Tito Ortiz allegedly did not show up to um, the, the boxing match that he had been um, um, challenged to put, like yes. putting it in his contract that he wanted to box Dana White. Um, 
And he said, yeah, that's uh, right. That's the one I sent you because you mentioned that I was like, well, they were supposed to box. And then I seen that video, which kind of explained like the whole thing about Tito wanting that in his contract before he would resign or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was funny. There was, there was in his, his interview, what, what uh, seemed to me like some things that were true and some things that weren't um, now it did seem to me that he, in fact, trained hard for um, uh, for the, in, in anticipation of this fight. I'm not sure whether or not it did, in fact, take place or not. Uh, and it did seem to me that he was telling the truth that he had boxed Tito before. Um, and then the, the fellow said, how'd that go? And he says, not well. And slight pause for Tito. Um, and, <laughs> and the other surprise, and he's like, um, oh, yeah, there's, there's, there's two interesting moments there. One is that he sort of perseverates on quite a while he was like now if it was an mma fight you know tito would rip out my spine that he goes yeah. on rather at length about that subject like either either he just thinks fantasized about it right right either he just thinks that's a more convincing like mistruth if he tells it that way or uh right yeah it, it's a it's a compelling thought to him to think about how well he could be defeated by by tito in an mma match um uh, but uh but then yeah what at, at specifically when he said not good <laughs> and then for Tito, I was like, now one, one could take the pauses just, just being like a moment to think of the line. But, dramatic or... but uh, it, it seemed to me that the, the not good was actually like, I didn't like that memory. I, I, I didn't, that didn't feel good. I, 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 I wasn't, that isn't the kind of exchange I wanted to have with, with Tito. Uh, that, that wasn't good for the Tito thing in, in my mental universe. Oh. Um, but then, um, but then it, it, it's, it's a little hard to get a, a baseline on him because there were so few moments in which he didn't seem to be exercising intentional deceit, misdirection, dissimulation. Like uh, there, there, there was so, that, I mean, that was the, the main thing that was disturbing about him was that there was not really any moment um, in which you saw authenticity. Uh, there, there, there were, Two I could think of. One was one moment where he was just angry about a journalist asking him about, um, like a, a, I think it was a defamation clause uh, of a, mm -hmm. uh, a contract, and he was just he was just very simply angry about it. And that's that's odd to see, just like uncomplicated anger. Uh, but but especially for a long time. But that was that was perfectly genuine. And then uh, <coughs> the only moment I liked, the only moment that like didn't cause me like a deep revulsion um for for uh, for quite some time to the extent that i felt somewhat fatigued about it was uh uh he, he became relieved about air conditioning uh at, at <laughs> one moment in one of the interviews and i was like wow that, that is by far the most genuine uh moment i i have ever seen and and it kind of makes sense because his face is always like flushed red with his high blood pressure which is also just kind of visible in like the uh, <laughs> uh, uh other aspects of his face so i was just like wow i mean it makes make sense this dude would would cherish his air conditioning um so so yeah those are the but yeah so it's part of the lack of a baseline those are the two things i i think he cares about most is the air conditioning and um a, a, a secret love of tito ortiz um <laughs> perfect well i think that's the the best segue as any uh we've 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 talked about dana white ad, ad nauseum um let us now if you would pour yourself some of this howler head i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do the same yeah yeah i, I haven't read any reviews of this yet and i haven't i haven't tried it yet i'm, I'm opening the the, the bottle now I want same to going completely blind yeah 
I think I mentioned that since acquiring the bottle at one point, after watching all those videos, I had to turn the bottle around because the, the monkey on the uh, on the label kind of reminded me of, of the visceral quality of like being in Dana White's universe of, of girl bossing. Um, and I was just like, <laughs> I, I just turned it around. That, yeah, not that a good feeling. That won't influence my, I'll, I'll have the bottle turned around while I'm tasting the whiskey so it doesn't uh, influence my objectivity. It's actually, it's funny you mentioned that because I recently, like I didn't think much about the, uh, the logo until until recently because uh, this has been out for sev- several months like uh, i want to say maybe even almost like a year like it's it's been a while it definitely came out last year the the logo is a monkey with sunglasses on and the monkey it makes sense it's banana flavored like okay monkey the sunglasses is very jarring because or at least to me like knowing what i know from from so- someone said something about this there's an mma fighter called tony ferguson who was at one point interim champion of the UFC. He was at the Fox lot doing media, uh, like in LA or, or Orange County, it might be. No, I think it's in LA, um, at the studios, Fox Studios. And he tripped over a cord and blew out his knee. And they decided oh, wow. to strip him of the title for this. And like Tony Ferguson, notorious for wearing shades indoors, and Dana White, and I'm sure this won't come as a surprise to you knowing what you know about him now, said, oh, serves him right, weirdo, wearing sunglasses indoors or something like that. Like, he deserved it or something like that. Very fucking weird. And, like, Tony Ferguson was in an interview recently and saying, like, oh, he, he referenced that line, which I completely forgot about, and then said, oh, but he goes and puts fucking sunglasses on his logo, on his whisk, on his bourbon. I was like, holy shit. And I'm, like, looking at it, like, this logo is fucked up. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm sure that probably is an intentional reference, because that, that was another thing I noticed about him real quick was uh, – Every so often, Dana White did have a likable moment, but it didn't seem to be an authentic moment, nevertheless. And I was like, um, there was one time he was talking about uh, Mazagati not making a call. And um, uh, he was using uh, both a, a rhetorical style and an inflection um, that was like a likable blue collar way to talk about something like that, about like how serious uh, reared naked choke from like the particular position is or something. And I was like, that's somebody else. That, that, that's somebody else's face and voice. Like, give that back. Because uh, there was just some obvious dis- disconnection between like very small micro expressions of it and how authentically it was part of his culture. Uh, uh, the, I, I was disturbed by that. And, and, th- and it was more than once. I, there were different faces, different pieces of different cultures throughout the United States I, I had seen. I was like, give that face back, you fuck. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to scar you so much. <laughs> Uh, but um, uh, but then so yeah I mean if this if that could potentially be construed as an intentional dig against um, somebody he didn't like I, I would certainly assume that that was likely. Uh, what what are your thoughts on on the on the smell? I was just thinking about that. And see, um, like you can smell the banana. Yeah, yeah, that is that is interesting. I mean, because um, you know this is just poured, so. Right. Uh, you know, this hasn't had 45 minutes to sit or anything. So, I mean, generally, in the case, even a very fine whiskey, right after you pour it, most of what you get is is heat, is, is just the, the scent of the alcohol. But mm-hmm. um, nevertheless, the yeah, the aroma of, of banana flavor is, is strong enough to actually penetrate the... Undeniable. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it kind of smells like overripe bananas to me. Like when, when, when you let bananas, like, really sit for a while. Yeah, you know, that I, I, I think I picked that up from from your suggestion but like i mean nevertheless like 
liquor tasting is a very subjective thing like that. So yeah. like the, the suggestion is perfectly valid. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, my God, like I, I, I suddenly got an image of uh, the United Fruit Workers uh, screaming from the um, shore of Cuba and Colombia as their family members were shot in an innocent protest at the demand of the United States government back in, I think it was like 1928, uh, just, you know, standing before yeah. piles of blood and cadavers and overripe bananas. Uh, you speak as if you were there. <laughs> Oh yeah, my my fiance is always telling me that I'm actually an immortal like vampire because the, uh, oh. the way I describe history is uh... that is two episodes in a row where we've talked about vampires. Oh right, last episode, and I was completely sober, mind you. Uh, someone asked us a question, like a, we, we do kind of a, a listener question segment, which we're going to get to later. Actually, some of our listeners have questions for you, Stephen, that are are just blowing my mind. Um, but uh, we have a segment where we have questions and someone asks like, oh, if, if medical technology were to get to the point where they could heal any injury, what techniques do you think, like basically they would say like, uh, there's no rules now in the UFC, there's no techniques that are illegal because right now like eye gouging and things is not legal. Um, the, the, the question was in that reality, what fighting style would prevail? And I just said, vampires. <laughs> I don't know why I just couldn't not think of anything else. Um, and so the fact that you said you're a vampire is perfect. Yeah, that's hilarious. You know, I, I've, I've sometimes thought uh, just in reference, you know, I just realized I've been wearing these headphones the whole time and the, the, the thing is not configured to play. The audio has just been coming from my computer. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to switch that real quick. Uh, no worries. But yeah, the, the banana smell was so distinct to me. And it's funny, like, when, when bananas get left out and they get overripe, people are like, oh, well, you can salvage them by turning into banana bread. I wonder if Dana White's fucking sitting around. And I, and I imagine that he doesn't give a shit about wasting bananas, but maybe he's like sitting around like, oh, what if I turn it into whiskey? <laughs> or, or you could turn the, this, this whiskey, say, like, if we were to review this and determine it was not particularly good, you, you could turn it into, like, um, something equivalent to a rum cake but it would be like a Ooh. an alcoholic banana bread to spare the uh to spare the, the whiskey yeah. from from being disposed of uh <laughs> shall we taste it um yes uh just a, i i have it in a bourbon glass i'm gonna pour a little into a glencairn too um glencairns are not generally using the tasting of bourbon but for one thing i poured a little too much and then also i figured it'd be good to get a different distinct uh you know different experience of of the nose because yeah it wasn't really opening up for me enough the, yeah there's there's actually additional nuances in the glencairn class that's funny because i almost never pour bourbon in one of those that's not like traditional to bourbon but uh mm. but i yeah, say uh, fuck tradition yeah <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, I could probably belabor the nose for an hour and a half, so yeah, yeah. it would be, be worth just, just sipping, yeah. Yeah. It's not terrible. Yeah, I don't find it offensive to the tongue. Uh, let's see. It is, I mean, the, the, the main thing you experience is that it is sweet, uh, which is yes. unusual for a whiskey. I mean, like, I'm not expecting to, I mean, it's an 80 proof liquor, so I'm not expecting to sit down to like a Drambuy or a, um, you know, a, a whiskey based liqueur. It, it, but it, it's, it's, I would say not excessively cloying, but just kind of 
compared to how sweet I expect whiskey to be, um, like cloying as a quantity. Um, I mean, I, I guess, um, what's the name of that one that tastes like, um, the atomic fireball candy? Um, oh, oh fireball uh, whiskey. F- fireball whiskey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose it has that that quality of being a, a candy like, um, whiskey in spite of, um, uh, uh in, in spite of actually being a, the, the same proof as a conventional whiskey, uh. Yeah, so that that is interesting about it. I didn't even think about that. And I actually, I I I rarely have whiskey or, or bourbon straight. So I I thought I'd mix it, and I I wanted to taste it straight first. But I, I I've just mixed it with some strawberry lemonade. I think that'll be the the way to really bring out the flavors. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm just, uh, starting with it. Neat. I'll, um, I'll I'll put <laughs> I'll, I'll put in a little water to uh, change it up um, a little bit down the line once I get a better sense of it. Um, I am so. If, particularly if you start with just like a small, just a very small portion right on the front of the mouth and allow it to sort of move backwards. It's interesting in that the candy flavor you mostly get right at the front, which I mean, there's also the, you know, the area of the primary. Um, yeah, sweet where the, the tongue. Yeah. But as it, as it moved back, I am like surprisingly impressed compared to what I was expecting. Like, you know, just, well, I mean, at least, um, I mean, I don't have any particular expectations. Whatever I might think of Dana White, mm-hmm. of course, he's not like personally he's not really involved in this process. Yeah, making whiskey, he he ordered a label to be made of whiskey. Who so whoever did that job, I have right. no idea. He's maybe essentially he, an investor. Yeah, maybe <laughs> funded he, the project. Uh, picked the 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 barrels, or or maybe he didn't. Like, I mean, one can. If you're going to make a private label, you can actually go to uh, a, a barrel house of, of, of like whatever spirit that it is and it, it like taste uh, barrels that have been sitting around there for years and uh, say blend them together and then turn that into a private label. But I feel like uh, if he had done that, they, he probably would have advertised it. So, yeah. Uh, so it was just like, yeah, I mean, wh- whoever put this together, they, they could do whatever job they wanted. I'm sure he probably had some input. I mean, like he, he, he was getting involved in the production of a whiskey i guess he probably wanted one he could drink and so you know that that would give you some expectation that not seeming to be a man of good taste that like you know who knows what could happen <laughs> but um but it, at least the, the underlying bourbon uh, beneath whatever they did to produce this candy banana flavor which i mean that that just tastes like a, a, a runt candy banana i mean there's like right. nothing to analyze about that once you get past it i'm just like oh that's just a reasonable bourbon past the palate particularly for uh this was 31 dollars for me 24 dollars for you like mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's um i was like huh. if you're if you're willing to deal with candied banana on the front <laughs> <laughs> and wait till it crosses the palate to to experience a bourbon i'm just like yeah, a fair bourbon flavor a relatively uh calm uh, mouthfeel it uh um it, it goes down smoothly enough there, there's nothing uh there's nothing harsh about it uh of course I, I was also gentler on the um on the proper 12 than, than everyone else on that episode of the podcast i mean i just that's true i, I just love whiskey so <laughs> right uh, but uh i specifically remember you saying about proper 12 that like it had notes of like paint thinner and iodine and i remember being like that's not good and you're like well that's kind of what people look for in this uh like like 20 dollar whiskey like category it's <laughs> like okay yes it is funny there are there are tasting notes that are coming to whiskey i don't i generally think more about like mouthfeel than tasting notes so i don't have mm-hmm. like the um the, the sheet of common bourbon tasting notes in front of me because i um i don't know i don't i don't find them helpful they're a bit like 
suggestive to me. They, they sort of epistemologically limit. Um, yeah, the, and the, then the experience you might the run this as a confirmation bias, kind of. Yeah, uh, but if you look at the ones for for Scotch and Irish whiskey and stuff, there they're all ones like moss water, iodine, uh, burnt tire, <laughs> uh, burning tire, and then the, of course you can look at that and be like, why don't you just say it sucks? Um, but um, <laughs> but then but yeah, I mean it, it depends on the uh, like the intensity. Like if it were to be like overwhelming burning tire, I mean yeah, that that would probably be right a way to say it sucks. But yeah, if you're just like just kind of like a, a hint in the back of the palate somewhere like. A little burning tire, like the, that, that 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 could be that could be exciting to locate. Um, this certainly is not as complex as all that. It's um, I, I mean that, that's sort of a limitation of bourbon generally. I mean, uh, it's, it's some um, bourbon fanatics would probably assassinate me, but um, it, it's <laughs> a, a difficulty with bourbon is that fifty one percent of the um, uh, of its composition has to be uh, corn or or maize uh, for people who don't live where maize is, is the is the corn. Um, yeah, and um, it's um, that, that I mean, just compared to anything made out of 100 percent wheat, I, I, it seems to intrinsically limit the capability of its um, uh, of its complexity. But uh, but I mean, nevertheless, you, you get a lot of really interesting flavors depending on the, the procedures of the bourbon makers. Um, but I, I would say that. Right past the middle of the palate, you get a fair bourbon uh, out of this. Uh, like, but but of yeah. course, if if you're if you're not doing this, if you're not trying to analyze the flavor of, of the whiskey, then um, then what you get is basically a like a banana version of Fireball. I I, I would say um, that's actually a pretty good like description. Of banana, it's like banana Fireball. Yeah. It's, I, I was interested to know why I pulled it up. Um, you said you didn't want to be influenced by that, but I was like, I was like, what would they be? I found this and it's from Etsy. So take that with a grain of, of salt, if you will. But it's a bourbon flavor wheel. I'll put it up for our uh, video listeners. It kind of has like different uh, like sort of circles. And so the inner circle has fruit slash floral, wood, grain, sweet, spice, and then on the outside of that, you have oak, wood, nuts. So that's sort of in the wood category. Um, spice to be earthy or aromatic. And then if you expand that further, like clove, black pepper, mint, herbal tea, licorice, coffee, tobacco, leather, sort of running the gamut there. Um, so will you, would you say that for like the bang for the buck, this is a good, this is a good bourbon? Um, it depends on... Um... I mean, what one likes personally and where you are. So like, uh, as we mentioned, there was a price difference where I acquired this in Virginia. It was $31 where you got it, it was 24. I would say it is a good deal for 24. Um, and, but, but probably not a good deal for 31 because uh, mm. where I used to live in Los Angeles, there was a K&L wine merchants. I could get the Lafroy 10 for like $33. Uh, oh my God. So like, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, compared to like a very fine scotch, I certainly wouldn't choose this. But then, you know, if you're, if you're the certain person who, um, like something like Fireball, um, and and just wants to get something fun, are, are also partial to the candy flavor of bananas. Uh, you know, twenty four, thirty one dollars. That if that's within your income range, um, then it could be good. Um, if you're just trying to, um, you know, rinse your mouth before uh, lying down to sleep on a thing of cardboard, <laughs> then then you know you're still going to want to go with uh, Canadian Hunter or whatever you can get in the uh, Listerine bottle for for two seventy five. But uh, um, <laughs> It's um, yeah. I mean, it, even 
even if you're not looking for the candy thing, I'm like, I, I am surprisingly impressed about what happens just past the front of the tongue. Like, and, and I would recommend doing that. Like, in fact, taking just sort of a small drop of it and allowing the fumes uh, and the small amount of liquid to pass through um, the rest of the palate and just being like, oh yeah, there's, there's, there's some like, um, vanilla notes. I mean, vanilla is like almost one of the most common notes you can get with bourbon, but it's, uh, yeah. it, it, aren't they coming like, like vanilla oak barrels kind of the, um, the charred barrels. Yeah. The, 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 the they've, um, that's what, that's another distinction between bourbon and like scotch, uh, scotch has to be made in used barrels. Um, a, uh. a, a newly, uh, scorched barrel. Uh, would like every barrel when it's first made for for use is scorched on the inside as part of the curing process but uh they they have to be used in something else first um for uh for for it to be usable in scotch by like legal definition uh but then bourbon has to be new um that so so that uh yeah that that charcoal um exposure to, yeah. to the fresh barrel gives it kind of a vanilla note frequently um but uh that's actually a, a pretty good segue. I want to get into some of these questions um, oh, yeah. as many as we can. So I got a, one from my, my good friend, uh, MMA Catfish. Here's his question. This is actually a voice question. I'm going to play through the mic here. Hey, Juice, it's the MMA Catfish. Hey, got a question for you guys and your special podcast this week. You know, a lot of the bourbon places like Mullet and some of these others that people pay a lot of attention to because they're niche and hipster and all that, are actually using the exact same base bourbon from a mass production company up in Canada, and then they age it in their own barrels. So, yes, it's their barrels. They are doing the aging. But that really feels to me like a big part of the process is being cheated, and it's pretty late. Or am I just being a hipster nerd myself? What do you think? FMP for life. Yeah, what what do you think about that, Stephen? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I didn't know that myself because I'm not like um, I, I'm not in the world of bourbon as, as much as I, I'm in, in the the world of scotch. I mean, not that I'm like in right. the world. Not just I, I drink scotch, <laughs> but uh, what is it? Uh, um, so yeah, that, that gets into a lot of interesting questions, like philosophically, because like um, you know, when one thinks of a, a very fine process of manufacture, or what, like what one thinks of all these advertisements, or just like yeah. uh, animes of like you know some some nineteenth century like sake manufacturer taking a great pride, he's, he's the tenth fellow of his name. Uh, yeah. Every uh, bit of manufacture, the process happened exactly where his his tenth great grandfather was born, and uh, there there's not uh, from soup two nuts, uh, not um, not a single thing that he hasn't touched his own hand to, uh, and. You know, there does seem to be some virtue to that, like uh, very fine products that people charge a lot for. They do belabor points like that. Um, but then um, uh, at the same time, if some of the steps really can be efficiently outsourced and don't make that much of a qualitative difference in the end product, like does that actually matter? I mean, can you, in fact, make a very fine product um, out of uh, the, the same stock as someone else, uh, which you know, that almost be interesting to know, like if that is true, I'd love to do like a side-by-side -side tasting of different whiskeys that have used the, that like, but that I certainly know to have used the same source material and see how different um, the, the end product is. Um, and then, I mean, that's basically oh, wow. 
I mean, I guess that's my answer. Like, that's that's how I would that's how I would answer that question. I would put them side by side and be like, well, are these different enough to to appreciate? Um, uh, did, 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 like, does using the same source material uh, create a different enough product? I, I would guess that it does because yeah. I mean, uh, while the while the stuff you begin with is important, um, the most of the art, I would say, at least by inference, I mean, I'm, I'm not literally a maker of whiskey, but like uh, from, from my knowledge of uh, winemaking and just things I you know, generally know about whiskey, I, I would say, you know, you um, so many different things happen in the house where um, barrels are aged. And <laughs> if you want to put out a consistent product, like it's mm -hmm. uh, like this, this is bullet bourbon. The, the different things are happening in different parts of the environment of, uh, of uh, the warehouse where everything is being aged and the, the the whiskey maker there actually has to go between barrels all over and be like in order to get the consistent flavor that is is Lefroy 10 or is bullet bourbon or, or mm -hmm. whatever the case is I actually have to um still conduct the genius of uh matching barrels and blending them such that they they make the the end product um th that people are expecting and um i would say yeah like there's i mean yeah, i guess if you have the same source material there's going to be less distinctiveness uh possible in, like in the, in the range of things bet between the different houses and that might be a little less exciting um but then what that um what effect that actually has on the whiskey? I, I would literally just have to be tasting it. You know, I, I'm, I'm not yeah, sure. uh, yeah. I would say it kind of is in the eye of the beholder, like yeah. in that in that regard. Like it, it, it does it value to you, like based on what you're saying. Yeah, um, I, I I have had bullet before. I do I do like it actually. I, I used to I used to keep bullet um under the sink um because <laughs> because Costco <laughs> happens to sell a very large thing of it uh, like a 1.75 liter bottle for. Oh, wow. 30 bucks or something like that so i i was just like oh great i'll because you know I, I at the time i had a replete liquor cabinet already full of like rather uh excellent whiskeys so i the when i was just like oh the giant jug of bullet bourbon 30 bucks i just like put it under the sink and i i, I pulled it out anytime when somebody asked for the cheap stuff um oh fuck. that's but, hilarious uh, but nevertheless like for being uh the cheap stuff under the sink it was i thought it was pretty damn good uh so um <laughs> respect oh, fact, I just noticed. Uh, so I have I have the Glen Cairn in front of me, and then the other cup I have is a is a Bullet Bourbon glass. I just remember that that came with the the giant jug of of Bullet from the uh, from Costco. Oh well, uh, hell yeah, <laughs> good segue or good yeah. tie-in. Um, I want to actually get to some some more of these. So here is another hmm. question from the homie Jim soon. What is going on, you bunch of motherfucking casuals? Juice, all you fucking juice heads. Hope everyone's doing good. Been a minute, huh? But uh, certainly has. I see you're doing a question thing online there, so I'm gonna ask you this question. I already typed to you, but fuck it. Let's do this instead. This I used to always do it. Uh, what's the drunkest you've ever been? Uh, I want to say no. Ask for uh, what's the most booze you've ever drank in one night? And then uh, the second part of it was uh. What's the biggest fuck up you had while drinking? You know what I mean? Anyways, that's my question for you this week, buddy. It is what it is, kids. And you know, it's always 420. Peace. That's actually a perfect segue from the last question because this gentleman is from Canada. 
So when he talks yeah. about the, the barrels coming from Canada, um, my, my listeners have heard me answer this, like questions like this uh, uh, more than once, but I'm curious to know, Stephen, because you and I haven't drank together a ton, actually, um, yeah. mo- mostly in the context of these, of these podcasts. And because even at my bachelor party, you were the DD. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what, what is, uh, what is the most you've ever drank in one night, Stephen? Um, you know, that's an epistemologically difficult question to answer because there, there are more than one night in which I drank enough that I don't recall. Um, so, so then <laughs> I, I don't know how much I actually, I, I, I guess if I, if I knew I was going to have to answer this question, I should have like measured the, the amount of spirits uh, that, that were missing the following day. But um, no, I, uh, uh, I, I have, yeah, What's I, have, the I literally most that have you no remember? idea. Um, see, the most that I was remember. Was there a time that like, you were the drunkest you've ever been that you can remember being that drunk, that you didn't black out? Um, let's see. There was, oh, oh, that I didn't black out. I, I guess that my 20th, my 21st birthday would probably be one of those. I, uh, um, same for me, actually. Yeah. I was living in Los Angeles at the time. I had a roommate who was working at some kind of, um, it, it, it took place at a hotel, but it was a, like some sort of event company run by the son of Ozzy Osbourne or something like that. And it was, uh, it, it was a place where celebrities could come and, um, dance near, um, uh literally like mascot costumed figures oh of, yeah of, is this like, the one cartoons? where like lyndon used to work for them and dress up as spider-man uh oh you know i didn't know lyndon also worked there but that yeah that's that sounds like the only kind of yeah outfit where one could have have a living doing yeah. that um uh, but yeah it was bryce it was with, like at uh, the roosevelt or something like that yes yeah i was at the roosevelt and that <laughs> i mean sounds like a fresh hell to me in every state of mind i could think of but on my 21st birthday i i got um so drunk indeed on just you know free beverages that uh I, I, I bryce was with me i was like oh you don't it was that he was leaving for work and i was drunk enough i was just like well this sounds like the kind of job you could be drunk for why don't, why don't you why don't you bring me over i'll, I'll get a job um and, <laughs> and uh and he did uh but then uh they, they did not hire me i think because i somebody noticed that i was vomiting in the bathroom uh <laughs> Which I mean, it's really none of their business. I'm not sure why that affected it. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, I got in the toilet and everything. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> Come on, if you're, if you're interviewing somebody for a job and they're fucking throwing up in your bathroom, you're not going to be so easily inclined to hire them. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if, if my if my trade was Spider Man and Gumby dance with uh, whatever celebrity is also drunk. I, I, I'm not sure I'd, I'd take the same uh, d- discretion. Uh, <laughs> But, um, it's true. <laughs> I suppose situationally it was a bit absurd. Yeah. Like, oh, you're you're too drunk to fucking work at this place where celebrities will go and get f- incredibly fucked up and dance with furries, basically. <laughs> yeah. Oh my oh, god! Yeah. And then what, what's the most fucked up thing you've ever done when you were drunk? The most fucked up thing? Yeah, like just like incredibly, I don't know, awful or. <laughs> Like something um, you regret or i don't know um so there was one time i was extremely depressed in california for about a month and but then like so i also just like have autism and executive dysfunction and there's like things that can go surprisingly um wrong with me that um doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily likely to go wrong with other people so i um Mm -hmm. There was one, but I found out from other people after the the fact that like for this month I had been 
drunk um, in in most of the nights um, th- that had transpired in that month. But uh, and I guess I, I actually had gotten drunk to the extent that I didn't remember it um, for for most of those nights as well, because I just literally my waking conscious memory, like I'm walking around, I'm having normal days. Uh, I'm even relatively functional during these days. And I'm um, just, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, yeah, I, I uh, got drunk last Friday. I, I got drunk once uh, on each of the weekends uh, of this month. And then somebody was like, no, you, you were like hard drinking pretty much most of the nights of that month, actually. And I was like, weird. I remember going to sleep around that time. Uh, <laughs> so, but, but I guess I just, in fact, um, it, it, but although, you know, I was living in a house where incidentally two alcoholics resided um, and they were both like, um, allegedly like not currently in their most problematic state, but I guess they do still drink every day, uh, like, like at least one beer a day to not get delirium tremens. And then uh, if they have the means, they, they will drink more each day. And uh, so just like having executive dysfunction <laughs> uh I, I just kind of um was drinking what was put in front of me uh, which i guess was also related to the depression i was suffering but then uh so then during that month i, I guess having been drunk so frequently there were um there, there were various stories i mean I, I think i just like urinated in the middle of the hallway at one point um <laughs> but uh and, and a few few other things that uh that, that would actually take too long to describe for their for their payoff value but uh, <laughs> uh they um uh but then yeah i mean somebody then somebody brought it up at the end of that month that i was just like what are you talking about <laughs> once uh you know once i figured out that in fact i had been um uh, drinking very frequently i just um just entirely stopped immediately it wasn't wasn't an issue at all uh just, i can remember like, hearing a story i wasn't there but I, I remember one of our friends telling a story that you were at a party and this wasn't, I mean, alcohol may have been involved, but they, they told me it was like likely acid or something that you were <laughs> on. And that uh, at one point you just started like, you laid on the floor and you just started jacking off. Oh yeah. That's, that's not true, but that's, <laughs> I, I, I can see how, how that came around. So uh, yeah, I was on um, MDMA. Um, oh, okay. And Beautiful. Um, so I came to what was supposed to be a party or what was originally a party. And um, I, I either, it, it had diffused or by the time I got there, not very long afterwards, like pretty much everyone had left. And then it's, it's eventually just me and two other people there. And um, was it, uh, it, it both, both of them, you would know by name, uh, but I'm not going to like, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. random people. I, I know uh, who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and, um, and they are just actually go to another room. I'm, I'm not sure what they're up to. It's man and a woman. So, you know, I assume it could yeah, be anything. Um, could and be any, I'm, could be I, everything. Yeah. And, you know, probably the strangest thing that I did on, on this evening is just like I'm on MDMA. So I did not realize um, that I probably should have just like left at this point. Like I, I, I was not uninvited from the apartment with with no one being left. And I, I think there were ostensibly maybe going to be some people coming back. But this is like basically no party going on. But because I was on MDMA, I was just like. But while sitting in this chair is great uh, <laughs> uh but then um but then the the guy comes out and literally just like inveigles me to masturbate he's like yeah so we're just going to be like uh in there for a while you know you you can do anything you can stay here you can go you can sit there and masturbate and, the, and then i was like uh, no i have no thank you but then like he actually like just kind of kept suggesting it and so he was just like all right, fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, but you know, I, I was just like by myself. I mean, yeah. But but then, like, I, I guess um, 
I, I guess it was weird for the woman he was with that that was going on, but like, it, 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 I, I mean, don't know if he didn't yeah. communicate to her that it had been his suggestion, but then they weren't <laughs> intending to come out of the living room anyway. So it, it, it just seemed like, but then, um, um, but this then, is yeah, exactly I, the version of the, of the Rick James story on the Chappelle show. When, when Charlie Murphy says that Rick James was like grinding his feet in the couch and Rick James is like, <laughs> no, I didn't grind my feet on this couch. I just think I had a little more sense than that. And then later on, it really says, sure, I remember grinding my feet on this couch. <laughs> I literally said, you were masturbating on the floor. And you were like, oh, no, but I can see how they would think that. And then you said, well, yeah, I did. Well, I... <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. So, well, I mean, I was, um, I, I was in a chair, uh, and, and I was, um, inveigled of, of this suggestion and an altered state of mind. Oh, but, so but the yeah. laying down was the wrong part. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I almost oh. don't even want to finish the story. Like this is perfect, like this. <laughs> and by the way. No judgment from, from me at all. And I'm sur- sure no judgment from any of my listeners. They've heard us talk about worse. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 literally, if a man's like masturbate in my living room and, and uh, won't take no for an answer, I mean, I, I can't. I, it it yeah. would have been rude to refuse. Yeah, I, I can't think. <laughs> yeah, you were being polite <laughs> is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking A. This actually, this is a great question from a, a friend of the podcast, Zan Bando. And I'm going to answer this one for you in case you don't remember, but I'm, I'm sure you do. But I, w- I want to talk about this a little bit because this is have, have you ever watched an MMA fight? And if so, who fought? And I know for a fact you have, because there was a time speaking of like kind of picking back off the last question, too. There were times when like you and I had classes together and we had like more than an hour break, like just like these kind of long breaks. And we would go to this restaurant slash bar down the street from our school dylan's uh was called which then became 33 taps and now i think it doesn't exist anymore but um they it was like when it was dylan's it was like an irish pub and they had a lot 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 of beers on tap and we would just go day drink i mean this is like one at 1 p.m we were just drinking and uh there was a ufc fight on and i remember specifically i mean this was 2000 it would have been 2011 or 12 um like somewhere in that year and at the time, I actually wasn't an MMA fan yet, so I don't remember specifically. But looking back, like I've, I have somewhat of a photographic memory, I'm pretty sure one of the fighters was Uriah Faber. Hmm. And what I remember too is that, like, <laughs> I think it, it was either Uriah or his opponent, but they, I think it was Uriah. He had black shorts on, and I don't think they had the names displayed like they do now at the bottom. And we were just like, "Yeah, go black shorts." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, re- I remember it, it was. I, I came in for a, a grappling section of the fight uh, and yeah, I, I very grapple but, heavy. Yeah. And in spite of um, having grown up in an area of New Jersey, where for some reason, everyone I knew seemed to know an, M- an MMA fighter, which, to which like, I just One thought that most, was kind of uh, more famous guys from those early days when you lived there is Frankie Edgar, who's from Tom's river. Oh, cool. So um, very, very close to you. It would have been like very common knowledge for them to like have known him. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I, I grew up in ocean township, but that's right next to Tom's River there. Um, yeah. but, uh, there's, uh, uh, what is it? But yeah, like I didn't realize until leaving moving out of New Jersey that it wasn't like, um, all that common for people to know MMA fighters and aspiring MMA fighters all the time. Uh, but in spite of that, I still like didn't particularly know what MMA was. Uh, so I, I didn't even know that, um, at that point that grappling 
was like generally like a specific portion of the fight, like something that that happens <laughs> upon a particular breakdown of uh, the, the the other fighting techniques. And then uh, so I, I just saw these two men grunting on uh, the octagon uh, without even knowing that that was what it was called. Um, and it was just like, wow, this is just this is just homoeroticism being put on the television. I'm not sure what I'm looking at here. <laughs> to be honest, it still is. Even knowing all the context, I do. MMA is very homoerotic. Well, I mean, the, 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 and that makes us one of the more progressive sports, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, the Roman Empire was homoerotic. They, uh, they, they say it brought the many virtues to, to be still. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you for that question, Zane. And thank you, Jim, for the amazing question, too. Um, uh, da, 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 da. I'm just going to a few rapid fire questions uh, from the homie Isaac Spooner. He says, should I campaign to have it pulled from shelves in Utah? It being the Howler's head. Um, I mean, it, it, I, I guess that's just sort of like a, a repetition of the review. It, um, I, I think it serves a, a, a candyable purpose. Like yeah. if, if you're just trying to get drunk on something that's fun, um, a, a, a bottle of this will be like a, a banana version of <laughs> a fireball. Like we said, I think it's, yeah. I, think, I think it's decent. And then, um, I'd, I'd be interested in trying, like, if I were to go to wherever Howlerhead is bottled, if they were like, this is what this tastes like before um, the banana is put into it. Uh, like, I, I, I don't think it's like a particularly excellent whiskey, not even or even a particularly good whiskey um, that's underlying the um, the banana flavor. But like it is yeah. for what you're expecting when you sit down and grab a whiskey that's from Dana fucking white that's uh banana flavored <laughs> for some reason uh it, it, when i got that thing over the palate i was like huh i mean just if you admire whiskey as i do then you're just like wow that is whiskey yeah <laughs> it, so yeah i mean I, I would say uh there's no um you know, no, no reason to pull it off shelves people have fun with it yeah fucking a i'll say this isaac it was better than i expected i expected to not like it and now, like what you said about like, you know, whether or not it was usable, if we wanted to like, you make like somewhat of like a rum cake kind of, I thought of uh, Bananas Foster. Oh, yeah. That'd be fun. Don't they, don't they, have, isn't rum and Bananas Foster too? Like if you met, place, place it with Howlerhead, I imagine that would kind of more accentuate the banana flavors. Could be. Yeah. I mean, that might be a bit too much because if like, if you're actually having actual bananas, you might not want like banana flavoring in That's with it. That's true. But then, but then I guess that depends because I mean, all kinds of people eat maraschino cherries, which uh, if you're yeah. hear, hearing this living in Italy, you might not realize, but um, if, if you live in the United States, when you get maraschino cherries there um, soaked in not only, not just Grenadine the sugar, but um, fucking... also, yeah, there's, there's artificial cherry flavoring in which the literal cherries are being soaked. Um, <laughs> if, if you just get like, you know, Luxardo cherries, maraschino cherries in Italy, they, they don't do that. So yeah, <laughs> uh, they wanted to make sure and anyone listening might have a stake in it is aware of what I was right. Yeah, we're big in Italy. So that was, that was very <laughs> insightful of you to. <laughs> uh, oh, fucking I, a. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm on like a ham radio. Like I've, I've never quite gotten past the, stage of being like wow the internet is where everyone can see everything uh uh but uh, <laughs> uh yeah but yeah so i guess yeah i guess you could mix the artificial banana flavor with the uh with the literal bananas banana foster considering maraschino cherries but um I, I don't know. yeah like maraschino bananas yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh this this next question from uh from jeffrey 
uh, or 215 says, how fucking garbage is proper 12 and why should it be pulled from shelves? Now, <laughs> I talk, I told him this and we talked about it a little bit already. You and I did review, mostly you, uh, reviewed proper 12 on my, my other show. Um, I would say this is leaps and bounds ahead of proper 12. In my you, opinion, you like the Hallowhead better than Proper Hall- Twelve. Yeah, and, uh, and also it, it's funny to me too, is because Proper Twelve obviously from Conor McGregor. I feel like Dana is like in some ways, like you said, how he has this like fascination with Tito. He has this fascination with Conor because Conor wanted to box Floyd Mayweather, and then after that, Dana created Zufa Boxing so that they could ostensibly hold boxing events. Still haven't this, you know, going on since like 2017. They were talking about this, um, and then. Connor makes proper 12 and, and Dana's like, no, yeah, I mean, maybe I'll make something like literally just copying him. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, that if, if I'm correct that he might have narcissistic personality disorder, although um, as the, as the DMs, the DSM six starts coming out there, they're actually moving away from like having categorical uh, categorical disorder so much as various traits on spectrums that yeah. uh, show certain ways clinically when dysregulated, but yeah, he does have narcissistic personality disorder imitating some, <coughs> someone else is absolutely uh, something that that he would do if he considered the uh yeah. the first thing to be uh an ego injury or a narcissistic injury um i think i do like the proper 12 a little better but uh, but then really? right I, I i had a higher view of the um of the proper 12 uh to, to begin with in the other podcast that's true this one does have a little more of a reason to exist than the proper 12 because like i i thought the the proper 12 was was a decent irish irish whiskey i was like uh, it was like this is about the quality of Bushmills, like just like average uh, product, like not their their finer like um, age statement, yeah. but the, just just Bushmills when it comes out. Um, and you know, and I do like Bushmills, like you know, if you want to pay not very much for an Irish whiskey, it's it's a it, it's a good thing. It didn't taste precisely like Bushmills, of course, but like it um, it, it had about that quality. It it strongly reminded me of the the of the mouthfeel of the water. Um, that, that that Bushmills uses in the, um, the river that passes by it. I was like, it, it, this, this has that lovely mouthfeel of all Bushmills whiskey. So I was like, I, but then it's just, you know, in fact, a different blend of, of barrels from uh, whatever house they, they, they might've very well hired Bushmills to, to make it. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I have no idea what, what, like what they did or not, but it was just like, damn. Um, and yeah, I, th- um, I think we actually researched that. I think they did. Oh. I remember we talked about you mentioning that. Now that I remember, I'd have to go back and listen to that episode, but yeah, oh, yeah, that if, was if definitely I, a quality quality you mentioned. Yeah, if if, uh, if I did research it, I don't remember it now, but I, I easily could forget that sort of thing. Um, but um, so I, I thought because the mouthfeel of the waters of Irish whiskey are just like they're, they're a very base level excellent thing to begin with um <laughs> it, so it's like uh, it, it, even if you like totally fuck it up uh if, 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 if like every stage of the barrel blending process was just uh, you, you were drunk yourself you diarrhea yourself uh, while you were doing it like whatever could go wrong did you would probably still come up with something pretty good at the end um and but yes i, I thought it was i thought it was a fair uh whiskey by by any standard and you know fair is not excellent but uh, yeah but then at the same time it is just like another blend of barrels of, of irish whiskey there's not anything particularly unique about it except the particular sensibility of whoever it was conor mcgregor hired to go um yeah and uh and you know that's that's worth having i mean if you're going to have an art such as whiskey manufacturing the more examples of something you do but then of course like it's not it, it 
that's not really an example of the art to be like, I want a private label, so right. go make another flavor yet uh, of, of something that's actually relatively affordable. Like, you know, uh, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but then so it's, you know, it's just like kind of another Irish whiskey. There's not much to it. I, I think it's a better whiskey than this. Uh, but then the Howler had it's you know I, I wasn't aware of a candied banana bourbon uh, prior to the existence of the Howler. So you know, if you are a person who likes the Fireball whiskey, but you were like, damn, I, I really like candied banana better than I like candied cinnamon, probably not a thought you ever would have had in nature. But uh, you, perhaps you would have had it under late stage capitalism. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I wanted to mention, for me, it's not as candied banana as you might think. You know, it doesn't taste as artificial. Like I said, the the authenticity of the banana flavor is more real than i would expect yeah that's true yeah, the, 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 they they do a good job on on the artificial banana flavor um and it's um right and the sweetness well it's rather pronounced for just like what i'm expecting out of a whiskey ever um it, yeah. it's in, unless i'm sit, sat down and said this is a whiskey liqueur um it's not as sweet as like fireball um it's a, it's like fireball like it's it's really almost like throwing uh coca-cola and ice cream down your tongue and then just incidentally it's alcoholic like this isn't <laughs> as sweet as that but um but yeah just like one could see this being an excellent thing for a party uh, like the Hallowhead whiskey whereas the yeah. problem was just like if you're a guy who has a lot of run-of-the-mill irish whiskey in your house because you like irish whiskey then private 12 would exist in it but like if it didn't exist in it there would still be plenty of irish whiskey so it's like yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> fucking a um we, we have another question from the homie brian pichet who is a senior editor at game informer magazine and i fucking love this guy i love his his podcast all things nintendo you guys should go give it a follow he's actually um doing a q a episode this coming week that i want to try and get a sneak a question in for but he says drop your best cocktail recipe now, this is an interesting question because I've not known you to, to do many cocktails. You're usually drinking it straight. Um, but uh, can, can you think of a cocktail that you like that um, you typically mix with? Let's see. Um, I'd say probably my favorite one in terms of when I used to make cocktails a little more often. Uh, like not, not my favorite one in terms of... Um, objectively the the flavor i, I like coming to but uh, the my favorite one to to serve it was kind of just like a surprising fun thing um most people have heard of uh a brandy alexander um yes but uh that's kind of like a, a that in itself is a lost concept already like in spite of the fact that most people heard that phrase they probably haven't had one at this point um uh, or they might not think fondly of them because like cheap things were used in it but much like you might say vodka martini uh brandy alexander is so called because um the original um the primary liquor of brandy alexander is gin um so if um if you do make it with gin um i would i used to make um Brent, uh, sorry just regular alexander which uh was apparently all, all the rage in uh, like 1915 or so um uh, you um mix that with equal part um uh, cream I, I, I would just use heavy cream and um uh creme de cacao and then you uh Take that up, put it in an up glass, and then just a uh, great nutmeg over it. Um, so wow. I would, um, uh, I would use St. George, uh, gin. St. George is a company from Alameda, California. Uh, they have one particular line called terroir, 
um, which uh, that, that goes to the question about the Canadian whiskeys, the St. George, uh, just like they do at the um, at the Brewerkladi uh, distillery um, in Isla when they go and make the botanist gin. Um, both both of these distilleries, they'll in fact go to the hills directly around them to find the uh, botanicals to make this gin. So, uh, uh, so so yeah, St. George Terroir, um, and I would put that with. Um, Tempest Fugit Spirits, they're the only people I would get creme de cacao from right now because mm -hmm. um, ever since uh, Prohibition, um, a lot of uh, European makers of uh, alcohol went out of business and, and you know, lots of really old, expensive, fantastic liquor was destroyed, particularly in the United States, was actually like destroyed, not just like not sold. Um, yeah. And um, so... Um, it, right, they, so they used to be very fine makers of creme de cacao, uh, uh, like all over the world. Now there's like none. And, and uh, this Tempest Fusion Spirits, they happen to be one company that specializes in uh, making things that used to exist uh, before uh -huh. Prohibition. Um, it, it's kind of funny. It's like U.S. Prohibition, but like it, it had such a the United States was such a consumer of alcohol around the world that uh, it sustained um, it it had an impact in other globally. countries that yeah that yeah. went out of business. Um, so um, so yeah the um, you, you, if you hear creme de cacao and you go like, Ugh, like you, you, that's probably just because like your grandma uh, had that in like a shot glass for you at some point. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so that can in fact be an excellent spirit too. So yeah, I would get uh, an excellent gin. Saint George Terroir is incidentally the one I would use, but like the botanist is also good. Uh, the uh, I, I don't know if the Schwarzwald Fifty Seven would go good with that, but uh, a lot of people are into that right now. Um, and um, yeah, only Tempest Future creme de cacao and then the cream. Just check that up. Um, and then. Technically, you could just use like a powdered nutmeg or something, but I would always take, in fact, a whole nutmeg um, and and grate that over the drink. And it, it would just give such a lovely presentation, such a lovely color. Um, and then it's just like a surprisingly good drink. Like you take a sip and you're like, damn, they knew what they were doing in 1915. Um, although, uh, you do have to be careful anytime you're dealing in nutmeg as a spice. Like uh, I, I would grate it generously like this is what this is what I would do. Uh, but mm -hmm. then, um, incidentally, nutmeg, um, is, uh, slightly toxic. So you, so you don't want to use, uh, too much because, uh, it, it, technically, it technically is a, um, technically is a drug. Like if, if you just like grate up a whole bunch of no, uh, nutmeg in a bowl and smoke it like that, that, that is a drug you can have. Um, Fuck. <laughs> I, I, I wish I had known that <laughs> spending a lot of money on weed. <laughs> It's not like uh, it's not a very clean or like uh, good drug. Like it's, it's not a, it's not a good idea to oh, have okay. that drug because it's like somewhat toxic. Can and I it's retract not... my previous statement? Money well spent. <laughs> it's, it's it's not like a, a great high, uh, but um, but you know, but that's did Connecticut have have its downfall um, in in the um, in the smoking of nutmeg? No, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I'd say that's that's at least the the drink I had the the most fun making was just a. A conventional Alexander. <laughs> oh, and then I, I, I love that. Starbucks. Uh, I, I actually made an Alexander latte based on that uh, because uh, really they came out. They came out with a juniper syrup for like 2018 Christmas. Um, oh fuck and yeah! I was like, oh, primary ingredient in gin. So then very quickly yeah. I took a, a short uh, a short cup and I um I did one pub mocha for the like simulate the creme de cacao. I made the latte with um. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, I, I would actually steam heavy cream, uh, and then do the juniper syrup, and I would do just like one shot of the blonde espresso that they had at the time. I don't know if they still do or not because it just like didn't taste blonde, like as I think much. They do. 
yeah. Uh, and then and then we had nutmeg powders, so we put that over. And of course, that wasn't anywhere near as good as like an actual <laughs> Alexander latte. But yeah. uh, I I did um I, I as soon as I sipped it, I was like, huh, that's a surprising facsimile. And then uh, we actually ended up selling a few of them. Um, so um, because yeah, my coworkers liked them too. That's fucking awesome. I remember like I've I've had a brandy Alexander once in my life. Because mm-hmm. I, the only time I had ever heard of it was from uh, the John Patrick Shanley play Savage in Limbo, and like one of the um, characters is like, "I want a Brandy Alexander, a Christmas drink," <laughs> and um, our mutual friend Kevin Shiley and I were were stranded. Who's actually been on this podcast before? Um, we're we're just sort of like I, I say stranded, like it was you know when you know we're living in LA, couldn't go home to our parents. Um, I we both thought we were working. And we ended up getting like either he didn't work as late as he thought. And I ended up not working at all and or vice versa. We were like, let's fucking make brandy Alexander. We looked at the ingredients, what went to the local Ralph's that we lived not that far from. And we fucking made brandy Alexander's and watched the help from Redbox and ordered Domino's. It was fucking (laughs) amazing. We called it the schlubby Christmas. I'll never forget that. (laughs) Well, that, that that's that's very heartwarming, actually. That that that, uh, that that is an excellent story. That reminds me of um, right? a bum's Christmas by H. L. Mencken, which is a, a short story <laughs> you can read. Uh, I mean, not because of it's like having a morally similar thematic or something. I mean, just because you called it yeah. schlummy. I, I was reminded just of the, the word bum. I was, but but, uh, uh, but yeah, recommended short story. But but yes, not uh, n- not a commentary on on your Christmas because it communicates a very different message. But it's, I uh, would imagine. <laughs> hl mankin um what one other question i want to get to i actually have a few more um this one from rob the gamer says what's the best bourbon under 30 dollars that's a good question um let's see under 30 you mentioned bullet as being like you know good bang for the buck well, yeah, if, if you go to Costco, if you have a Costco membership, which I mean, I guess it sort of already goes into the price tag, but at least like you might have a Costco membership as part of the. Uh, uh, I think you can get alcohol at Costco, even if you don't have a membership. Oh, that's true. Yeah, they were talking about it used to be apparently it's illegal to be have to be part of a club to buy alcohol like from that sort of early I'm like a membership for, you know, like at, at a store, I guess, like, I, I don't know, there's <laughs> some loophole that allows you to buy alcohol from Costco without needing a membership. Yeah, there, yeah, there's a few things you can get at Costco. I don't think you need a membership there to eat at their cafe generally. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you're just like, I'm, I'm just going to go eat at the cafe or um, it, to use their pharmacy. I think it's always, uh, you, you you can just go and use their pharmacy. I don't think it's legal to um, require yeah, same, a membership same, for that. Same law. Uh, yeah, and then... Um, uh, and then yeah, the alcohol now that the alcohol one I've actually tried <laughs> uh, a few times and I've gotten different results. Like sometimes I, I was just like I'm I, I don't have a membership. I'm just buying alcohol, and they were just like, oh yeah, come right in. Uh, but then uh, in a few different states, um, sometimes like I, I don't know if it's that the laws are actually different by state or if the employees just like being employees just like had no yeah. idea what I was talking about. Um, but uh, I would suspect the latter. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I was just kind of like waiting by the the cash register for a minute with my alcohol, and like they call the manager over, and they're like, hey, "What?" Like this guy saying like he doesn't need a membership, and the manager's <laughs> just like he doesn't know either, but he's just like, "Just bring him up." Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So you'd um, say bullet then, probably, or um, well, that that, that um, I'm not sure. But bullet also makes a rhyme that's pretty good, but yeah, like a good bourbon uh, i have to fresh my memory actually bourbon um they said under 30 dollars under 30 dollars 
see. or roughly 30. You know, if there's something that's like just over 30, I think that probably would qualify in this scenario. Yeah. Um, cause, cause yeah, I mean, bullet's pretty good, but under $30, you can also get something by Buffalo trace. Um, yeah, that's true. By, I've heard uh, good things about Buffalo trace. Elijah Craig Woodford reserve. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a subjective evaluation. Um, like had this said, had this said $40, I would say four roses, single barrel. Uh, oh. specifically, uh, like the, their cheaper stuff is, is kind of, is kind of not great, but, uh, four, four rows, a single barrel, uh, it, it comes in a really handsome bottle. I, I just adore the, the flavor of it. It's, it, it's, it, that one is like as complex as a scotch. You could sit there and, um, sip it forever. You come up with as many tasting notes as you felt like. Um, but yeah, under $30, um, it becomes a little more difficult to think of me personally. I would probably think of. So like each of these houses that I mentioned, they have whiskeys in like different price ranges. And so like mm -hmm. off the top of my head, I can't tell you like is is Buffalo Trace or Woodford Reserve or whoever like better at the product they offer at the $30 price range than the other one. Like that that's a little hard because right. I'm not like literally like a, a guy in the world of like professional bourbon uh, sommelier or whatever you would call it in that case. But um, I, I, I would assume something by um, Buffalo Trace is probably what I would go with in that price range. But that's uh, uh, that's that's fair. Kind of, that's kind of kind of a, a guess because I'd have to just go back and actually do right. a tasting of things under under thirty dollars to like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That'd be a whole separate podcast reviewing bourbon under thirty. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this next question from the homie Tyler J. Amos says, what are your top five favorite whiskeys? I'm hoping this, <laughs> I know you have a lot of, of whiskeys that you enjoy, but I know they're particularly top five. Hopefully this should be, should be easy. Um, oh yeah. So, um, Lefroy 10, Lagavulin 16. Um, let's see. Um, Talisker, um, Oban, uh, 14 and, um, Let's see for a fifth. Uh, oh, there's a few I could choose. Oh, I guess um, Green Spot. Uh, oh. uh, Green Spot for a fifth, yeah. Nice. It could be named an Irish whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> so would that, would that uh, be your favorite Irish whiskey then? Um, you, there's only Irish in your top five. See, um, you know, that's... Uh, that's a good question too. Like it's, it, it is hard to choose. So I, I probably could have said green spot or red breast 12, but then uh, everybody has I've heard you mention red breast 12 before. Uh, yeah. Like I, I feel like literally everyone has heard the praises of red breast 12 being sung about. So like, whereas uh, green spot only, it was only a few years ago, the green spot started becoming available in the United States before then it was mm. uh, only available in Ireland. So uh, I, I feel like um, green spot is undersold. They, they also have one called yellow spot for the same company. I haven't tried that one yet. I assume it's, but uh, I don't know if it's a different character or higher in age statement or something like that. But, Green spot uh, sounds highly more appealing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess Red Breast 12 might, might actually more properly belong on that list than Green Spot. I just kind of like forgot about it for a second, but then it's, it's a little cliche to, to mention Red Breast 12 at this point. If no, you're I think giving ever, someone else a shine everyone. is good. Yeah, <laughs> everyone knows Red Breast Twelve is amazing. Um, uh, where, whereas Green Spot, I think, I think, yeah, could could be could be better sung. <laughs> now, 
since, since we're on this, this from this from Kevy Kong at Kevy Bones says, since we're reviewing Hallerhead, what is your favorite whiskey slash bourbon? I think Lagavulin, um, or sorry, no, Lafroy 10, you said was your favorite whiskey. Um, what, 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 what is your favorite bourbon? Did you say the Four Roses or? Uh, oh, well, yeah, that was my favorite bourbon at, at exactly $40. Um, oh, got it. See, uh, favorite bourbon. Um, I guess I don't think of bourbon as being more than $40. Maybe I'm, that's how naive I am. <laughs> well, you know, part of that is like, so, you know, like if somebody listening who knows much about whiskey would, would get a general uh, impression that I am more of a scotch person than a bourbon person. Um, but I mean, which is true. I, in fact, I, I drink scotch mm-hmm. more often than I drink bourbon. Uh, but um, at the same time, um, there's another tragedy of U.S. prohibition. So like at the time of uh, prohibition, there's amazing whiskey all over kentucky i mean just literally barrels 100 like 100 years old or more um that's just because of prohibition um you know this is a situation like um like cognac like you know you 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 go to hennessy which you know you might not associate with being a particularly fine uh product too because um you you just just see it in the gas station but i mean like you go to hennessy's actual house the the, the warehouse right. where their cognac is kept and they have they have like 300 year old cognacs there that they might like never even put out they're too valuable at this point like and and you're it's it's this museum of like the, the finest products you could possibly conceive of and um and yeah i mean and if you do want to spend many thousands of dollars for uh hennessy's they uh um they they, they do make products in that range and so just just as every remarkable cognac house does um and uh and it, it was quite like that before u.s prohibition with bourbons i mean you you, you would have had um 100 year old more bourbons uh, right prior to uh, prohibition but they just they literally destroyed large quantities of very fine spirits uh as, as a result of uh and i i always feel like there's probably an excellent movie in that like just the, like the 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 scene of somebody smashing a hundred year old barrel of bourbon uh, <laughs> because of prohibition like i've never seen that depicted uh in a movie or something i feel like um that that that's just waiting to be made um yeah but um it, but yeah so so i mean that is one of the problems is just like literally the the stocks of of the very fine whiskeys uh that that would have existed up to this time um were were destroyed and did not start getting made again until like 1933 um what um let's see um it, it's it's hard for me to think of a favorite bourbon for the four rows of single barrel might be it i'm trying to think if i even have had had um whiskeys like finer than that like like with uh like with scotch i i actually have sometimes had like the really far more expensive stuff like this like a lafroig 18 that, that i was given the opportunity to try once and i was Ooh. like uh that one i did think was excellent but then what like with Isla's whiskeys you almost do want the lower age statement um because like the, right. the fact that they're in your face with the peat is like the peat yeah yeah uh they, they, that sort of becomes more more nuanced with the lafroig 18 and uh and you know of course i do adore nuance so that's fun but like at the same time like if I'm just sitting down with a whiskey, I probably want before I can. Uh, but um, um, there is one in particular I'm trying to think of that I literally can't remember the name of. Um, Willet. I, I, I totally forgot about Willet. Uh, let me see what their price ranges are because that might actually affect um, the previous answer. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, yes. Yeah, I had this one. The willer the willet pot still reserve bourbon uh and willet actually makes quite a variety of interesting like yeah uh, you, you you can get different 
age statements, different products. They, they make bourbon whiskey, they make rye whiskey. Um, they, 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 and, and it's always like, um, you know, labeled uh, with like, so somebody wrote in pen um, <laughs> exactly <laughs> what uh, this is, or, or I don't know if they just printed that way for it looks like it, but uh, yeah, w- yeah. Well, it probably makes my favorite rye whiskey and probably my favorite bourbon as well, I, because uh, that, that's one thing about them is that they just have such a an amazing variety of options that you can order from them, uh, and then incidentally, they they are also very good uh, producers as well. So, um, so okay, yeah. So that yeah, that's mine. So Willet Pot Still Reserve Bourbon, yeah. All right, this from uh, at STD, um, blended versus single malt. What do you think? Um, that depends on your predilection. Uh, so, like uh, when we did the episode where we reviewed Johnny Walker, I mentioned um, yes. Christopher Hitchens' opinion. He, he said that um, you would want to be careful upgrading to single malts because, if, like, if if you if you're an al- if you're a drunk, like you you need a whiskey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> then. Um, the, the single malts are not available in, in bars everywhere, but then he sort of meant like literally in bars in like Yemen and Iraq and things because he was an international journalist who was yeah. uh, always literally in the scene of wherever he was writing about, uh, sometimes getting into like fistfights with uh, the, the opposing militia um, <laughs> because he would like erase their graffiti or something. <laughs> um, so, so if you are neither an alcoholic nor an international journalist, you might not have that concern, but I don't know if like, there might be other reasons you're in like a whiskey desert or something. And, and so that, that might, I, I, I don't know what they might be. I mean, maybe just like, you know, kind, kind of a poor area that not a place where you can get a lot of craft stuff. Then, then yeah, you want blended. Um, but then um, I, it's um, I mean, mostly if I'm looking for a very fine whiskey, I'll go for a single malt, but that's almost like, it's a little easier for me to think of that way. Uh, but at the same time, like most distinctions that are ever made in language or in human thought, uh, like have you ever seen, um, th- there's a meme of a guy, uh, he, he hammers in nails along a seashore, like uh, in the shape okay. of the wave that you know, breaks, uh, like just, just as it breaks upon the sand and where it ends. And then like, you can put whatever you want there. Like, um, um, like speciation is, is one to put on there. Like the, the idea that you can actually specifically mark in the whole biodiversity of, of, of life, like specific species in the form of the nails along the seashore, uh, you know, just, these distinctions are often weak that way. So with single malt and blended, it's kind of like, just as I was describing the process before in regarding to the, the question of like, well, if they're all just getting their, um, their, their grain material from the same place in Canada, uh, what it's like to actually pick barrels from your warehouse in order to produce the same product. It's like, what you call a single malt is still blended of all the barrels that the whiskey maker believes create um, from his warehouse, the effect that that he wants, if like if if, if which I mean, it's a single malt in that right, a single source of malted grain uh, for, from exactly where they know where it is. You know, that that's that's what's being used across the barrels. But then, as I mentioned, so much of the process is just what happens in uh, the actual aging house. I mean, it's certainly by amount of time spent on it that that is by far uh, more of what goes on, and. Um, you know, by the selection of barrels and the making of barrels themselves. I mean, Cooperage is such a vast subject like there's um, and then so like, I feel like a lot of people who are are going to be like die on the hill of saying single bonds. Definitely. I would never like enjoy a a blended whiskey as much um, are probably not. They're probably thinking of themselves more like having the experience of going to the distillery going to a particular barrel 
of the whiskey sitting there aging and just tapping from it, drinking it at that moment. Uh, like that would be awesome. <laughs> right. Uh, but that's uh, not, in fact, what you're getting with a single malt. You're, in fact, getting a blend of such experiences. Um, and then, you know, when, when you get a blended whiskey product, I mean, sometimes it's a... Uh, like sometimes it's just cheap it's like yeah this is technically uh blended uh it's it's got uh cheap grains and it is it's yeah what whatever they could find as a matter of opportunistic buying it's like a opportunistic but but then like um you know some of the blended scotch um houses that i mean they're in fact buying barrels from some of the best single malt distilleries and, and they're buying it together so it's like they're sort of just on a broader scale doing exactly what the guy in a single malt house does uh, but instead of pointing at different barrels in one house, they're like pointing at barrels across excellent Scotch distilleries all over and being like, send these onto me. Uh, and, um, and, you know, that, that's, that could be a pretty cool approach. I mean, I don't know as a qualitative matter, like if I was going between many different Scotch houses and there are many different like individual barrels from wherever they came across the warehouse was like, sampling them all like if, if i could even yeah. begin to keep track of um what those whiskeys were like and make make like it really consider myself to be do, having an art of that i mean i feel like i would get so subjective at that point my tongue would get so bogged down like so so while you can compare them in that way at the same time it might be that, that might actually be a little too much data um to, to really make an art of it but then that really depends on the house too i mean uh you know pe people do spend over like 250 bucks for a johnny walker blue label and the, those they they do in fact even use some barrels from lafroy go in johnny oh, walker interesting. um not uh not even the majority of but just incidentally that that is one of them that they'll use um and um so uh yeah i mean there, there's benefits to both I, i'm trying of course, to be objective, I mean, what I drink is single malts, but uh, yeah. um, but but yes, if, if one were to sort of break down what is actually different about them, then uh, then you could go uh, to different blended whiskey houses and see see what you like. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, Truché. Yeah. One last one before we get out of here. Um, the homie tie guy, tie fly guy, fifteen says, "What's your favorite spirit or, or and beer?" And we've talked a lot about different spirits and and whiskey, but I'm curious to know what's your favorite beer. Um, oh, good question. Favorite beer. Um, I've actually had quite a few. So um, I used to live in Santa Rosa, California. That I, I would commute to mm -hmm. um, Gerard's Winery, which although it's a Napa winery, the place was actually in the town of Sonoma. Although now they're they're right next I to. I remember uh, the Sonoma. Yeah, they're, they're uh, uh, what, what do you call it? They're owned by VML, it's the the larger body, and the, so they they also own. Um, uh, oh, I suddenly forget the name of it. There's a uh, there's a, there's a winery that, that's named after a unicorn. It's a Spanish name for it. <laughs> then they're, they're now right across this street, they have a new building for Gerard, and it's right across the street from VML's other property, which I, I suddenly forget the name of. But but yeah, so that's actually now in Napa proper. But yeah, at the time it, it was convenient to commit there from Santa Rosa. Santa Rosa, my apartment was literally just around the corner from uh, Russian River Brewery, um, oh. and and that's where they have uh, Pliny the Elder, uh, which is like well known among craft beer people. And then I, I even oh. got the opportunity to try Pliny the Younger because uh, Pliny the Younger they make like. One, uh, you know, once a year, and there's always vast oh. lines and things, which I, I will never stand in a long line for anything. I, I don't care if it's for my survival. Right. I, I would rather die. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
And then, uh, but then because I was right around the corner, I, I just during the three weeks or so, Planet of the Younger was available. I happened to walk by and there was not a line at that hour. So I, I walked in and had some and I was like, oh, Dan. Uh, but uh, let's see. Um, it, I'm trying to choose between like Russian River, like Mission or Treehouse. Like, um, let's see. Uh, Russian, uh, Russian River also makes a blind pig IP. And it's pretty, I, I guess my mind is kind of sitting more on the Russian River than it is the other ones, even though I yeah. like those other ones I mentioned a lot. Um, so, you know, I was surprised when I tried Planet of the Younger that I like Planet of the Elder better, just it could, because Planet of the Younger is, is very sought after because of its scarcity. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll land on, on Planet of the Elder by Russian River Brewery. That to anyone that knows craft beer at all, that might be like a boring answer because it's uh. It, it, it's very well known as being an excellent beer, but uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I do in fact, like that. that one very much. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, didn't know you haven't tried that one. Yeah, I, I recommend that highly. Yeah, um, well, Stephen, thank you so much for doing this and, and coming on. Um, before we get out of here, is there anything that you would like to say in terms of anything you want to plug? Um, and I'm mostly just focusing on law school and things like that, but. Any any message you want to get across? The platform is yours. Um, let's see. Uh, well, you mentioned Lyndon Laveau earlier. He just came out with an album. Um, I, yes. uh, I I have to go listen to it. He sent me the link last night, and I'm about to do that shortly. Uh, so um, props out to Lyndon Laveau. Uh, I, uh, yeah, see. look him up on Spotify. Lyndon Laveau, L A V E A U X. I think. Oh yeah. Um, let's see. Trying to think. Anything else I'd like to plug? Uh, Cognitive linguistics as a subject anyone cares about as opposed to not caring about it <laughs> very much like to plug that because I'm currently writing a book on the intersection between law and cognitive linguistics um, because uh, you tell me about that. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's funny. There's absolutely no work done on that. There's other work done on the intersections of law and linguistics, but um, not in the school on, on which I'm writing. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how when people have older attitudes about language rather than versus cognitive linguistics that people think of the universe as a very rigid thing because we're sort of limited in our cognition by um, what we think about the intensity or the domain of, of the words that we're using to describe it. And we don't realize how light <laughs> as evidence these things really are and how uh, right. everything in the universe is actually constantly in motion, constantly blurred. Um, it's uh uh, I'm glad I'm drunk and not high because you probably would have broken my brain <laughs> with this. Uh, I'm like, it, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, fuck it. If you've never, anyone listening who might be interested in like this as, as a plug and never heard anything about it at all, there's a really great paper from 1979 called The Conduit Metaphor. Um, I forget the subtitle. It's like a framework for... Uh, a case frame for meta language in English or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's by Michael Reddy. I spoke to him on the phone once. He, he's, he's a pretty nice guy. Um, and um, <coughs> then uh, <coughs> George Lagoff <coughs> does a lot of research in that. Any of his books on the subject would be good, although he's kind of like on the dark side versus Noam Chomsky uh, because right. he, he had been a student of Noam Chomsky, but then George Lagoff just kind of like uh, goes and uses this knowledge to um advance the dnc uh it, whereas uh, noam chomsky is very much like uh just on the anarchist left being like why work with institutions i'll just continue to use linguistics to denounce 
uh, all <laughs> forms of political uh, manipulation and imperialism and so forth. But uh, uh, but yes, Shout I think to that's, Noam Chomsky. Yes, uh, yeah, I think just as an intellectual subject that's uh, highly neglected in general. And if you if you're the kind of person who likes to um, read about new fields of inquiry whenever you're looking for a new book, uh, that that would be uh, that would be an excellent one to um, uh, to endeavor upon because it it it. it Having discovered it myself a few years ago, it touches on more aspects of one's perception of the universe than uh, than you'd end up expecting. Fucking a. Well, let me shout out our patrons, and we will get out of here. Um, the people that make this podcast possible. So we want to shout out APB, Sandy Pants, Alex from Jersey, T Cross, Fee, Dave L, Jimmy the Drunk, Mix the Man, Anonymous, David Everett. Wholesome MMA, Brian Piche, Dave, aka Nobby Buckles, Super Manly Nick, David S, D Crons, Harry Andrew, Cakes, QAR, and Dash. I'm a mess. <laughs> and I think that's as uh, good a place as any to end it. Uh, have a good day, everybody. Well, well.